0: your community can be tiny. But in that tiny community, people need to know who you are, like you trust you and want to do business with you. Hey, it's JP.
1: Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry shower on the real estate investors club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Andrew Lucas, who introduced himself to me off camera before as someone who does all things real estate. So we're going to make that a bit more specific now. Andrew, tell me about your journey through life that led you to be on my real estate show today.
0: Oh, Terry, that's probably too long, but I'll get to, I'll do it fast. (laughs) But thanks for having me here. I'm so excited, Uh, you know. From Canada to South Carolina, all, you know, real estate is everywhere. And I got started because when I was in college, we had just kind of that entrepreneurial bug. I was always looking for ways to make money. And and I, for some reason, thought my landlord was just raking it in. He was had to be loaded, had this house for me to pay him rent. I come to find out, no. When you own one house and you're not charging enough for rent, he probably wasn't rich. But that got me thinking and and I graduated college and bought my first house in 2007, where uh, me and my roommate were trying to go in on it together. He ended up paying half the mortgage and then I moved out about 10 months later and we rented the whole thing out. So that kind of got me going. At that point, I had no idea what I was doing. Very bad deal. Did all the wrong things on that house. and. I actually just kind of was just falling into it. I thought real estate would be retirement. I was managing hotels and the retirement plans weren't, they're not really there. They're a little better now. But my thought was in 30 years, this house will be paid off and I'll have students paying me and that'll be like a retirement thing. So a few years later, we got another house, the house across the street, went vacant and got dilapidated. We bought that. and then. 2016 is where it got real. Where my wife and I, at that point, we had two kids and one on the way, and we knew we didn't want to work the the lives we were working. So I was in hotels, which meant who knows what the hours were, and she was kind of a high stress job that she really liked the people, but it was stressful, and we didn't want that forever. So we looked at real estate. We had four or five rentals at that time, and and it was. Kind of like, I don't know if this is it, but let's see. We found a couple of books. One of them was Hold, uh, Gary Keller, and then um, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And we were like, okay, let's do this. Let's get enough rental houses so that she could step out of work was the idea. We went from five to 35 in about two years. Um, some really good deals. I didn't really, most of those were on the MLS or from word of mouth. And we both stepped away. We both stepped away. I started wholesaling full time in 2018, and then now we we wholesale. We have a like a retail brokerage. We flip houses. It's hard to say all things real estate because there's so much you could do here. (laughs) But if it feels like if there's a house, if it's a piece of property, we can figure out what to do with it. So that's where we are in in 2022 in Columbia, South Carolina, is where pretty much everything is. Okay.
1: So what I like to do is to get people to tell me a little bit about a typical deal for you guys, because I think sometimes it can be a little bit airy fairy, like especially, you know, from Canada to the States and then specific locations in the States that maybe we don't know too much about. It's a bit difficult to like wrap your head around exactly what that means. So can you tell me a little bit about a specific deal that you guys might do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. the The numbers have changed, of course, in the last two years, right? So... I'm still looking at houses now. I'm like, I never would pay that. But then I go comp it. I'm like, well, I guess I have to. The prices have all changed. But looking today, I just got off the call with someone in our group that's doing a deal. And the purchase price is, a, I think it's 86 purchase price. This is a three-bedroom, 1,400-square-foot house, three-bedroom, two-bath. Purchase price is 86. We're going to put 40K in rehab. And then I think the sales price is 170. 175, I think is what it was. One, yeah, 170. So that's kind of the numbers. That's a really good spot to be in. If we can keep it, we really like under 200,000 right now for making it affordable for people to buy. We can go up to the $300,000 flip range. Anything above 300 is considered more luxury in, in our market. So that means higher end cabinets, tile, countertops, that sort of thing. In our market, very difficult to buy anything that's habitable under a hundred. So I don't know if that translates to kind of what you were thinking.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly kind of the numbers that I wanted to put on there. And then what does the financing look like like on that kind of deal?
0: So for us as the rehabber, that's going to be, you know, private money, hard money, we'll be paying 10% interest, 10 to 12% interest on that. The end buyer, Who would buy it and live in it so you know owner occupied financing right now is uh we're seeing people get in the sevens they have not gotten in the eights yet i hope of course bad credit will probably get you there but good credit you still get in the sevens someone said something that they dipped into the sixes but i don't know if it's still there
1: okay and then what's the um carrying time on a project like that how long do you need to turn it around
0: yeah, we we would shoot to turn that around, be done with renovations about 6 to 8 weeks. And then our inventory is so low. I can't even with what's happened with the interest rates in the last 2 months, our inventory just for to kind of give you the the numbers, 2 years ago it was typical to have about 3700 to 4000 homes on the MLS available. Even now today with the crazy interest rates, and supposedly it's slowing down, things are sitting on the market. We still have about 1,900, so less than 2,000. It's about half, about half of what our typical market would have. So if you put a good product out, if you put a renovated home out, it's going. It, it, they're still going first day on the market. They're still getting multiple offers with first day on the market.
1: So then tell me how you found the deals, because it seems to me that like, when you're in a very tight market, the issue is deal flow. So what do you do what do you like coach your network to do as far as deal flow?
0: Yeah, that's that's the hard part, right? Everyone said there's no deals, but somehow this the business is still rolling. So the way we coach it and teach it is to open your mind and your eyes to the fact that there are deals everywhere. They're always out there and it's it's the situation that makes the deal. And so when we We want to spread the word that we're looking for properties, that we are looking for something that needs work, needs love, something that is torn up or just needs some help getting, you know, the final pieces, whatever that is. We want to spread the word, but not just that we're any old body here to buy your house and sell it. We want to connect with people. So we build a network through connections and and making real life connections. So sharing on Facebook, sharing with our friends and our family The reason why we're out here looking for houses will help you be the person they think of. So that's step one. So this deal actually came from a wholesaler that I don't know where they blasted. I don't know where they went with it, but they came directly to us or to to our partner came directly to her because they made a connection, I want to say, through Facebook. So it's it's not just being any other house buyer. We seek to be the the local community house buyer, and that when I say local is you, you don't have to be local or the community does doesn't have to be your whole town or your whole state. It could just be your neighborhood. We know I know a couple of people, a couple of agents specifically. They just do one neighborhood, and they are the agent for that neighborhood. And if a house sells or buy, gets someone buys one in there, they are part of that transaction. So. Your community can be tiny, but in that tiny community, people need to know who you are and like you, trust you, and want to do business with you. So that's what we focus on in our wholesale business. We also put out a lot of postcards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we are always marketing, but when they call us, when we talk to them, it's not about just tell me about the deal. I want to buy your house and just sell, sell, sell. It's what are you doing? How do we help you? How do we connect with you? Building rapport. I'm from Columbia, I'm from this town. So I feel like if I, if I get on the phone, half the time, I either went to the same high school as these people or new people that they know, you know, making those connections is so invaluable in a, a market like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm glad you went there because that was kind of where I wanted to, the interview to go, which is, uh, okay. it sounds to me, like you've done a really good job building a network, leveraging that network, making connections and you know you're kind of telling me about the media that you do it through. So like let's say Facebook would be a medium or like you know blasting out postcards it's it's a marketing tactic. But when it comes down to it, something you're doing is allowing you to maintain, build that network, be in a favorable position in it and make the connections in a way that allows you to do deals. So tell me about that. Like, what does that look like? And how did you come by that knowledge or that way of functioning?
0: Oh, absolutely. I said, you know, I used to manage hotels. And through those years of managing hotels, I was the president of the hotel association, I was on the board of the governor's hotel task force for emergency management, like all these things. And when I was going to leave the hotels, one of the fears, one of the anxieties I had was, I'm going in now. I'm going to be a real estate guy, where I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I've got, I, I don't have a network. I don't know anybody in this. Nobody I know does real estate, right? So th- I had to, ch- I had to fix that. That was just one of those things that I needed to change. And so it started with a little meetup, uh, Bigger Pockets, if you're familiar with that. So this is back 2016, 17, something like that where they were saying you should, you know, meetups, put them on bigger pockets. So I did, and I hosted meetups and we started meeting people, started growing that network, I actually found my first coach and mentor in for my meetup. They came and we started talking and I was like, I need you. And so then we went from that to when I finally left the hotels completely. Where now we host essentially a weekly get together. So we do a meeting every month, which is a big meeting at night. We do a coffee meeting, uh, which we did yesterday, where we have people at our office. We do walkthroughs on on renovations. So we we've what we've wanted to do was be the hub of the bicycle wheel. So where all the information and the deal flow in our town was coming to through us. So when you show up at uh, REI Live or the Deal Finders Club, we're there. We're connecting with new people and old, experienced people, and we now have that hub of information. That's that's what allowed us to catapult in this local market. And that's what we lean on. And so we grow our market our like our sphere of influence through there. And when our marketing goes out, we now have a level of respect from people in the in our local market. So people get our postcards. And another, say another wholesaler is there and they might say something about our postcard. We're actually on TV. We do TV commercials now. They'll literally say, are you the family from TV? And the other wholesaler is like, no, but I know that guy, you know, and, and what will happen is that if that wholesaler gets the deal, they'll call us first because they talked to us, you know, talked about us. Our postcards are everywhere so that When people show up at the house, they're like, oh, I've got those postcards. You know, that kind of pervasiveness is how we get to the general public to tell them about us. But when you get into the real estate network, we have created a hub. And so that's where, that's where about the crazy part is about 30% of our deals come from that being the hub. So referral business coming in, JV partnerships. Just deals that people can't handle or don't know what to do, they come in through there. So that is the number one thing. It's been phenomenal the last four years.
1: Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, MindfulLandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. And that's just really by creating sort of like a network that of which you are the host, I guess, like you put yourself in the position of the host of hosting meetups and then becoming the center of it. That's very, very clever.
0: Yeah. It was all just because (laughs) we wanted to know, to know people. And there's so many, you know, in every market, there's somebody new that wants to know people and they're afraid to start a meetup because they don't know anything. Just invite people to come over come have beers or go get a burger, go to lunch, whatever. It started with pizza. I was bringing pizza (laughs) to those first meetings. And then we were getting like 20 people every, every meeting. And then we're like, well, we could do more of this. So it's start somewhere with that.
1: Cool. I've got another, so now we're going to go like a little bit out of the, uh, you know, the business model and kind of how you build the business. Tell me a weird story. So I think, you know, in real estate, we all like to talk about, you know, our successes and the way we built our business and like all those kind of things. But like the things that remain in our mind are like, you know, the weird story when I went in to buy this house and you wouldn't believe what I found there. Or like, this was a weird client that I dealt with. Like, here's what happened. You got any like random stories to entertain our audience?
0: Yes. I've got (laughs) so many random ones. (laughs) I've got this one that I was telling yesterday at that coffee meeting. It was, it was one of the the catalysts to tell me I don't I did do not ever want to be a property manager. So <laughs> I started doing the property management myself, like I managed hotels. I can handle tenants. Well, no, I can't. I had a team that handled the the hotels. So the the first house we had, we had a couple houses at this time and there's college students in it. And this is when I was like this is it. This is not for me anymore. I can't take it. It was Thanksgiving break and the guy called me. He's like, "Hey, we got a little like a little Pump in the floor, a little dip in the floor in the living room. I was like, okay, that's fine. We'll, I'll send somebody out. He calls the next day. He's like, when when is somebody coming to look at this floor? I was like, well, like it's it's Thanksgiving. What do you, what's the problem? He's like, it's it's really it's like really bad. I'm like, okay, I'll come over because I was in town, living in town that time. And I go over there, and I kid you not, there was a literal bowl in this living room. It was only held together by the hardwood floors being nailed to to each other. The guys, our football team, our college football team, the Gamecocks, that Saturday played in Missouri. We had four touchdown, come from behind, wind win. And apparently they were having a party. The story is they all jumped up at the same time and landed and destroyed the joists under this house. And when I, I mean, they were on the ground and it was it was a disaster and these guys were still they, when i got there they were sitting on the couch and like about to fall out of the couch because it's leaning downhill watching tv i'm like get out get out of the house go home go somewhere else <laughs> they destroyed the house they, they broke i think it was six or eight joists underneath the house i was like i'm done and then like within six months we had property management on everything and i was like i'm not doing this anymore.
1: <laughs> i love that you know i'm actually a property manager i started my career as a property manager i do less of it now but yeah. like pretty much almost like everybody i talk to is like don't manage your properties like don't be a property manager i'm like yeah well like unless you want that to be your everyday life like
0: <laughs> yeah i don't want it i don't want it <laughs> and i was bad I was, I was not a good one i was too too nice like let people push me over it was not good
1: yeah. Um, that's a, a challenge when you're managing properties. And I want to ask you another question that we don't talk about a lot in the real estate field, uh, which is the lifestyle hit that we have to take as investors or as business owners to get where we are. And I think yeah. it's really easy in the you know, social media environment or in the environment where we're kind of like trying to project success a lot of the time to be transparent about the stuff we had to give up to get where we are. So I want to ask you in terms of, you know, lifestyle hits that your family had to take, you had to take personally, what would that look like? You know, financial sacrifice, time sacrifices. What did you do to get where you are?
0: So one of the things that was discussed with my wife and I, this is 20, we we had this, the first rental house, uh, I think even the second one before we were actually married and the first one before we met. And, and it never really meant anything. We, those, they were in their own bank account. I I'd never made any money from it. It wasn't like, Ooh, I get to buy a watch because we made money. No, like they were all breaking even, you know, it was a retirement play or whatever. And then when we said we would, we would go in and, and do this as a business, um, my wife said, the like verbatim is she said, let's, you can do it, but don't touch our family bank account. Like, don't touch our family finances. We need to figure out how to do this and we stay safe and secure. So that was very, very, very early on purposeful decision that we made. And we said, we, we have our lifestyle. We can't get worse <laughs> is the idea. And, and so that was, that's kind of how we built the business where if the business made money, well, the business got to keep that money, we were still working our jobs. So we just really kept it separate. Uh that was so much better than blending the two and the stress that comes with that going back and forth, at least I think. But in doing so, you know, we we didn't make any extra money. We were doing a lot of work and we didn't, you know, we didn't change our lifestyle. We didn't get anything new or extra or big and you know, the vacations weren't any better. My wife actually did get a new car yes last year because our kids are old enough. They can climb. We don't need the minivan anymore. So we got something new. Uh, But my car is, I don't know, 15 years old. But what we did sacrifice and the thing that I would, I want to share and warn people of is I would spend so much time because I was trying to build this business for the family. I made all these excuses where I would literally stay up. I'd home from work like my day job sit down at like i'd get home and dinner would be ready i'd sit down eat with the family put the kids to bed and by seven seven thirty they were pretty young so put in the bed uh maybe talk to my wife for half an hour but then i'd go right back to the computer and start doing quick books or looking for houses or whatever it was and i would stay up until like one or two o'clock in the morning go to bed wake up early you know and do it again and it was I didn't know it at the time, but two years, I guess two years of that will destroy a relationship to where my wife and I had, you know, like traumatic, we're like, we can't do this anymore, you know? So we had to, and this is 2018, I guess, we're we're like, okay, this has to stop or we're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to be able to stay together. This family's not going to stay together. We're going in the wrong direction for this stupid business, right? Like it doesn't matter that much. So there's a season for that kind of hustle, but it, it can't, it can't swallow you whole in which it did. It nearly did for for me and for us. So we, we had those conversations and no, I do not, I don't bring the laptop to to the bedroom anymore. You know, there's no working after we get home, we have dinner with the kids and it's, that's it. Like we don't go back to work. That's kind of, we had to say we're not doing it anymore. And uh, that's something I see people, especially in social media, kind of brag about a little bit. And it, it makes me nervous for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And like, you know, it's funny because I asked this question to like a a lot of guests. Right. And it's, the answers are invariably, it's either a financial hit, a lifestyle hit in the sense that they end up living in a part of town or in a town they don't want to live in, or it's, or it's burning the midnight oil and like working harder and spending hours and then it's relationships or it's personal time or it's health or something. And so like, mm-hmm. like you said, I think it's true that for a certain amount of time, like you can pull that kind of hustle, but that yeah. it's not like a permanent thing that you can just like live your lifestyle like that and think that there's not going to be some kind of casualty or collateral damage to it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you gotta be prepared for that. So I'm glad you asked the question to people is because if you're not prepared for that, then you, then you won't see it coming. Had someone just mentioned that, say, Hey, be, be aware of this situation that could come up or this symptom of, of working really hard, like be aware so that you can say, Oh wait, gosh, I'm there. I've been doing this for six months. You know, it's too much, you know, pull the cord or whatever that financial situation is. If, if people are aware that one bad deal can, you know, derail you pretty hard, then, then they'll be prepared with the backup, you know, with some savings and they'll put money aside. So, asking that question having people share the tough parts will at least help the new people get getting, getting going.
1: Yeah, and to yeah. not, uh, you know, project this seamless image of success that actually has nothing to do with the path that actually took to get there.
0: No. And we so lost money on plenty of deals too along the way, right? You know, it's <laughs> but that doesn't stop you.
1: So um we're uh, coming up on running out of time. I'm going to just ask you one last question which is kind of our like finale question. What do you think that in the industry, we should be talking about that we're not talking about.
0: Oh, that's a good question. In um, the real estate industry, so I see, and I have friends in the industry that are from so many different areas and backgrounds, and and I feel like there's some of them that have these platforms they want to stand on and, and talk about. And you know, one thing that that comes to mind is real estate investors and agents are really like the old guard. I say the old guard, like they kind of work with old ideas and like this old structure is going to stay the same and are really slow to change. Part of that is the realtor association, at least here in the, in the U S has such a grip on the laws and things, but the way we buy and sell, and I'm assuming Canada is pretty similar, but it's not the way we buy and sell other things some reason real estate has got this big hold on it in in the legislative and the laws and the the way we do it. I think that's going to change. And I don't know what that looks like for for the future for real estate agents because every all the information's online. There's the attorneys are there, right? We use attorneys or title companies. It's going to go, I feel like it's going to go to more of a direct purchase Insurance companies are doing this. All insurance companies used to have insurance agents that would sell. Now insurance companies just go straight to the consumer. Why aren't real estate investors and sellers or or sellers and buyers, why aren't they just going straight to each other? That's a big change that I think is coming. And the whole iBuyer thing has come through and really just blew a lot of people away. They didn't think it was going to happen. So as I don't know what it looks like. But the transaction, how we transact real estate, I think is going to fundamentally be different. But I don't know what that means for rental rates and home prices and all that kind of stuff, right? So I don't know who does that thinking, but it's, it's like, that's one of the things that I'm, we are trying to prepare for real estate being different. So we diversify. So we don't all have single family or all multifamily. We do some lending and that kind of stuff. You know, we flip and we sell. So that, so that we can be diversified and ready to pivot when things change. It's, real estate is going to change. I don't know what it is, but there's so many people that are just stuck in the old way of doing things. That's what keeps me up at night. Like, what's next? What's going to happen that I'm not ready for?
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, th- I think it's think a really good point. I think we don't talk about it. And I think you're absolutely right. I think, and I think there's two aspects there. Like the one is, you know, people are always talking about how like, okay, the robots are going to replace us. And like, it's true that like being a realtor 10 years from now is not being a realtor today. And like, right. basically, if you look at like, by the time someone figures out an alternative to the MLS, then it's just a question of the contracts, which anybody can download online. Right. Yeah. And so like that business is probably, I, I think you're right. I think that's going to go through a major change, number one. And yeah. number two, there's the transaction aspect. Because like when you're talking about like, you know, I'm sure you've heard of NFTs, right? they like yeah. people are talking about instead of going through, um you know, the whatever like i don't know it's here it's like the land registry or whatever i'm sure you guys have it like a similar thing but, but like if you start transacting with nfts as opposed to you know the traditional way of going to the notary as it's not it not it's not lawyers it's it's notaries but like that we have a specific format for how transactions have to happen and like as the world changes that will change too so i think you're right yeah
0: well i don't know if you know the first the first nft house sale happened here in Colombia, oh, uh, about a month ago, some some friends of ours, they, I don't know how the details went, but it was a house NFT transaction. So it, I don't know how they did it, but it was through Roofstock, I believe, uh, the company Roofstock.com. So it's it's changing. I, I just don't know. I want to be, I want to pay attention to the what's ahead, and so much of real estate folks just don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you're right, um, Andrew. Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation with me, share with our audience, um, and you know provide some value. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out?
0: Yeah, probably Facebook uh, is is the best Deal Finders Club on Facebook. My email is Andrew at lucasproperties.biz. You can also go there and email me, and I will respond eventually. I am not the fastest because I usually just kind of walk around a lot and I won't sit at my computer and then it will pile up and I'll catch, catch it the next day. So feel free to email me though. Facebook is probably the best though.
1: All right, Andrew, thank you so much. Have a great day. Right.
0: Thanks, Terry.
1: Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club
0: podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a
1: rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP
0: is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.